If this is your first time at Faith Community Fellowship, uh, today you're going to get a bit of an inside scoop into what makes us tick here at Faith Community and what gets us excited, what motivates us. Um, it's exciting to see what God is doing in our church and through our church and sometimes in spite of our church um, because we don't get everything right. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, here's the thing. We're, just con- we're, we're committed to constantly evaluating though and asking questions and recalibrating as we go because uh, we want this to be a place where God can use us. And so this morning, there's going to be an element of this is who we are. And then for those of you maybe who call faith community home, this is going to be an element of this is where we need to be going. At faith community, our stated mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ for the good of our community and the sake of the world. We want to create environments and experiments where whether you Uh, attend church or you don't, whether you're coming back to church or you're coming for the very first time, whether this is part of your family story (coughs) in in tradition, or maybe you're wanting to write a new chapter in your story. We want everything about the experience here to say you're welcome here. We're doing what we're doing for your sake. We want uh, you to have kind of every opportunity to explore who Jesus is and what he's all about. So here's the thing. We run into people all the time, and you do too, who feel like life is against them. People in our community that we do life with sometimes feel like life is against them. When you're standing on the side of the soccer field, or you're sitting on the bleachers at a basketball game, or you're in the seats during a dance class, or whatever your kids are into these days. Or you go to a school thing to see your grandkids perform, or you're sitting in church with people all around you. Wherever you're with people, wherever you talk with people, there are people there who feel like life is against them. We've never seen families struggling so much. We've never seen marriages struggling so much. We have our garages and basements and attics and sheds and storage units so full of stuff that we don't even know what's in there, and yet so many people that we know feel so empty and so spiritually poor. We've definitely never seen people feel so connected digitally and yet feel so alone in life. We think we're connected with one another because we think we know each other's business because we liked your thing on Facebook or Instagram. And in this last year with all the uncertainties and then all the uncertainties like about the economy, so many people go to work every day wondering if they have a job at the end of the week. And if they don't have a job, how do they pay their bills? And if they can't pay their bills, then what about? And there's all of these what ifs. And they just feel like life is against them. And it's a common sentiment So many people right here in our community, in our county, they feel like life is against them, and they feel like, because of that, they feel like God is against them. And they're convinced that all the evidence says that God is against them, and the thing they don't know, and the thing that we are determined to keep trying to communicate more clearly and more effectively, is that they they just don't know that Jesus is for them. And I don't think people in our community and the people that we do life with every day will ever know that God is for them until they know that we are for them, until they know that his church is for them. And I mean all of us who are followers of Jesus, they aren't going to know that Jesus is in their corner until they know that we are in their corner. 
So a while back, a few years back, we decided that faith community, more than ever, that we just need to be for our community. Because there's something that happens when someone gets in your corner. So I want to get into this familiar story today from the Gospel of Luke uh, by asking this question. What if you saw the people around you the way God does? What if you saw the people around you the way that God does? Have you ever met anyone who could see more than you can see? Now, for those of us who wear glasses or corrective lenses of any kind, we all have people, right, in our lives who can physically see more than we can see. Even this morning, already this morning, I messed up a lyric because I can't find the sweet spot between my microphone and my music in front of me where I can actually see it, where it's in focus. So it's just that we, some of, so we know those people, right? And um, I love them all. But my, my question goes beyond our physical abilities or limitations. So here's an example, okay? There's a fair amount of technology going on in this room on any given Sunday. Um, and I'm even, not even talking about the technology you're holding in your hand right now. For instance, we have three electric guitars um, on stage. Electric guitars don't make any sound without an amplifier. Hence, electric guitar. And here's the thing, none of our guys who play electric guitar use amps. They all have digital effects processors. So if they plug their guitars in and no sound comes out, I could go over and help them. But honestly, it's all gobbledygook to me. I don't, I don't know what they're looking at. I don't know what's going on. But they're like, what's going on? And they're like, I don't know. Click, 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 click. Beep, beep. Oh, there it is. Okay, we're good to go. Why? Because they know some things and they understand some things so they can see some things that I can't see. We have a keyboard on stage that uh, doesn't have a brain. And I don't mean the keyboard uh, player. Uh, just want to make that clear. Uh, the keyboard itself, you can't play that keyboard without a computer attached to it. All the sounds come from the computer. So if there's an issue with that piece of gear, I'm of no help whatsoever. But Ben looks at the screen and he's like, let me check my connections and let me, well, he doesn't talk like that, but, and let me maybe make a few, few clicks of the mouse. Click, 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 click. Oh, there we go. All set. Because he sees some things that I can't see because he understands some things that I don't understand. All of our musicians use iPads for their music. We haven't used printed music in ages. And maybe to you, if you were to come look at the music, whether it's in printed form or digital, whether it's in musical notation or in chord charts, maybe it's all Greek to you, or more likely Italian, because that's the language of music, that you don't see what the, music, what the musicians see, because you forgot all your middle school music theory. Um, or let's say, since uh, Garth is responsible to turn all of our pages for us with his pedal up here, if it's one of those weeks where some gear just won't connect, or the iPads won't uh, communicate with each other, or his iPad won't communicate communicate with his pedal, and we're like, you know, what's going on with this? I, well, I turned my page, Garth. I don't know where I am. Help me. Why well, won't this work today? And Garth walks up to him, and he's like, well, maybe it's because i got to clear the cookies from your cache, and i got to check the specs on the inline rotary girder, you know? Like, how did he know, how did he know that? Mm -hmm. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. How did he know that? Because he looked at the display, and he saw something that I didn't see, and he understands something that I don't understand. A few months ago, we updated our presentation software. That's the tool that makes it possible for us to project images up on this screen and out in the lobby. And um, so for all the images, that, like for lyrics and for announcements, for any videos, for uh, the sermon notes, at the same time, it projects different content on that monitor that's hanging from the ceiling that's facing me. So the singers can see lyrics, but it's not the same content as what you have on this screen. And we hadn't updated that software in like seven years. So as you can imagine, when we did, we ran into a few issues. 
Some days I'd come in as we're starting to rebuild everything and I'd boot up the computer and I'd launch the software and everything worked fine. Other days I'd launch the software and all the screens were displayed in the wrong place. And it's really hard to run the computer from the tech room up there when your control screen is on this monitor right there facing that direction. And so on those days, I would send my friend Stan a desperate text. Sometimes he would ask for a screenshot of this or that. And by looking at the same thing that I was looking at, he would recommend a fix. Why? Because he could see things that I couldn't see because he understands some things that I couldn't understand. So as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we believe that people, we believe that humanity was God's idea. And the truth is, when it comes to human beings, God can see more than we can see. In fact, if you look at Scripture, there's a theme that, you know, while people look at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. So what if we could see people the way God sees them? How would that change us? How would that change our lives? So when I look at Scripture, I believe that God sees us with this double vision. God sees us in two ways at the same time. The first way that God sees us is he sees us as made in his image. There's a part of you and I as human beings that reflects the image of God. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, in things like our ability to be creative, our ability to be logical, our ability to problem solve, our ability to empathize with someone, our desire for justice. Those types of things are indications of the image of God in us. And in some ways, those are the things that um, we see in other people that inspire us, right? That's God's thumbprint on you. That's his signature on you. And, and if that, I believe that's what makes you valuable to God, the fact that you're made in his image. And I hear some of my friends, especially those from the same kind of church tradition that I come from, with its what I call cherry-picked Calvinistic uh, influences, and they place such an emphasis on our unworthiness. And I get that. God's grace is unmerited and undeserved, but that doesn't make us unworthy. You have innate worth because you are made in the image of God. It's not what you do or don't do. It's not how you behave. It's that you are made in his image and you are of incredible value to your creator, your heavenly father. So at the same time as he looks at you as made in his image with this double vision, the other way God sees you is he sees you in your brokenness. He sees me in my brokenness. He sees our mess. He sees the way that we treat the people around us. He sees the way that we treat sometimes the people closest to us. I mean, the truth is we don't have to, you know, argue very hard to convince ourselves that the world is broken, right? When someone commits a terrorist attack, it's not because, oh, they're made in the image of God. That's why. No, they are made in the image of God, but we also live in a world that is broken. When someone abuses a child, yes, made in the image of God, but we live in a world that is broken, We hurt people around us because the world we live in is broken. We are broken. And Jesus sees all that. He sees all of our struggles. He sees all of our addictions. He sees all of our mistakes. He sees our poor choices. He sees the secret things that we think other people can't see. And in the midst of all of our brokenness, even with all of that, even though on one hand, he sees us as made in the image of God, at the same time, he sees our brokenness. And what does he do with that? He has incredible compassion for us, and he wants to restore us, and he wants to redeem us. The thing I want to get to today is that 
So yeah, this is a great theological concept, but like, what about Jesus? So Jesus has compassion, but what does that look like? So like when Jesus was walking the earth, how did he actually see people and how did he treat the people around him? When he looked at them, what did he see and how did that impact the way that he treated those people? And what does that mean for us? Today we're going to look at a very familiar story from the Gospels, from Luke chapter 15. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the four accounts of Jesus' life on earth as we find them in the Bible. Each one is named for the person who wrote it, and they wrote from a very specific perspective, and they wrote with a very specific audience in mind. So we're going to read this story from Luke chapter 15. Luke 15 verse 1 says this, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I love notorious sinners. I love that. Verse 2, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Jesus is always hanging out with people that would drive the religious people crazy, the religious leaders crazy. Prostitutes, tax collectors who were oppressive and deceitful, uh, People who were sick, who they would want to, and you're like, what's the big deal? Well, they would want to avoid them because they would see them as impure and unclean. These are the people that Jesus is hanging out with. And they're wondering, why are you hanging out with these people? Why, why would somebody who claims to be the Son of God hang out with these people? And Jesus then wants to explain why and how he sees this group of people. And so he uses stories that we call parables. Three stories that teach, and this is what he says, verse 3. Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he'll joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I've I've found my lost sheep. Jesus says, verse 7, in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Then he tells another story to make the same point. Verse 8, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. And these silver coins would be quite valuable. A lot of theologians think that uh, she would be wearing a dowry of 10 coins that would be very valuable, and now she's lost one of them. He says, won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house, which would have been a dirt floor at that time. If you've ever been in a house with a dirt floor, you could see how easily you could lose something like a coin. She sweeps the entire house and searches carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she'll call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I've found my lost coin. In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So what's the point? What is Jesus trying to say to us about how he sees people? What is he saying about how he sees you? What Jesus is saying is that he sees you as valuable. He pursues you at all costs. He sees you as made in the image of God and he sees your brokenness, and he desperately wants a relationship with you. Maybe that's really the reason that you're here today. It's why God has you here today, just to hear that. That the God of the universe sees your value and desperately wants to have a relationship with you, to restore your brokenness, to have a restored relationship with you. Jesus sees the people around us as valuable, And if we're followers of Jesus, he wants us to pursue them on his behalf at all costs. 
So then when we look at the people around us, then he wants us to, to see that they too are made in the image of God. And even in their brokenness, that we're to pursue them with the love of God so they would know how much God cares for them. And that isn't easy to do. Sometimes when we see the people around us, all we see is the brokenness. And that looks inconvenient. And that looks messy. And that looks like it might cost me something. And it looks like something that we don't have time for. But Jesus sees the people around us as having great value. And he wants to pursue them at all costs. And he wants us to see them the way that he sees them. Because the truth is that some people won't know that God is for them until they know that we are for them. That's why Jesus is hanging out with these people. And the religious leaders are going, why are you hanging out with them? And he's saying, because I want them to know that God is for them. That he's not against them. That even though they're in this situation in their life where they feel like life is against them, the truth is God is for them. I want them to know that. I want them to know that they have value. They're made in the image of God. He wants us to see the people around us in the same way. So Jesus tells another story that speaks to our brokenness. Maybe you see yourself in this story, verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So basically what he's saying is, I really want my inheritance. Dad, unfortunately, you're not dead yet, so uh, could I have it anyway? It's like a hallmark moment. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. It's an important theme in the story. His hunger continues to grow. And he persuaded a local farmer to, to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed, hmm, what animal should we say? I know, pigs. And as a young Jewish man, you wouldn't ever consider being around pigs. You wouldn't take a job feeding pigs. It's not the kind of job you would ever consider. Verse 16, the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. No one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. I'm no longer valuable. Uh, I know I'm no longer valuable. I know I don't have any value to you or anybody else. I know I'm unworthy. I'm not even really your son anymore. So please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. I love this part. I think the father's been watching for his son like every day. And I don't know how long he was gone. Like maybe he's doing dishes by the window and he's just looking down the driveway, kind of gazing out there, spacing out, wondering. He's cutting the grass and he's looking down the driveway. And then one day he hears tires squeal around the corner coming up the street and he thinks, maybe that's him. And he's just watching day after day. Verse 20. His father saw him coming. 
Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. He's, just, he's rehearsed this speech. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. I'm broken. I'm a mess. I'm not valuable anymore. Verse 22. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost. Now he's found. So the party began. What does Jesus want to say to us in this parable? What is he showing us about how he sees people's brokenness, how he sees your brokenness, how he sees mine? Jesus sees you in your brokenness, and he welcomes you home. Maybe that's what you need to hear today, that Jesus sees your brokenness. He sees your secrets. He sees your mistakes. He sees your hurts. He sees your hangups. He wants to welcome you home. He wants to redeem you in the midst of that. He wants to redeem your story. And the truth is that Jesus sees people in their brokenness and wants to welcome them home. That's why we want faith community to be a church that unchurched people like to attend. That your unchurched friends and family members and neighbors and coworkers like to come to and like to experience with you. We want to create opportunities for people to connect with people who live with a desire to live out the way of Jesus, to connect deeply with people who are for them, to meet their heavenly father and to be welcomed home. It's why we put so much emphasis on on some things like all this thought and energy and creativity and details and people resources and things like our ministries to kids and teenagers that are happening right now because we want to be for your kids. We want them to know the loving embrace of their Heavenly Father. We want them to know that He loves them so much that He's come looking for them, that He's made a way into relationship with Him. And we want our teenagers to know that wherever life takes them, no matter what choices they make, no matter if they mess up and how badly they do, their Heavenly Father is going to welcome them home and He's going to love them and He's going to go out into the darkness, into the storm, searching for them, whatever it takes, so they will always know the love of Jesus and He's in their corner and He's for them. And then beyond that, that we want them to know that there are people in their church who understand this, who understand the call of Jesus, and they see them in their brokenness, and they see their value because they see the image of God in them, and they come around them, and they're for them. That's what we want. All of us have people in our lives, whether it's sons or daughters or friends or cousins or grandparents or grandchildren, who we're hoping that one day they'll make their way home. One day they'll be so hungry that they'll decide to come home and that there will be people there ready to welcome them when they do. We want to be those people, don't we? We want to be that kind of church. The interesting thing about these stories is that in each of these stories there's a party. It seems like a bit of an overreaction, and you first you read the first couple stories, like, why would you have a party for a sheep? You know, like, what is Jesus communicating uh, to us? He's communicating what's important to him. He knew that we celebrate what's most important to us. This is about having the right priorities and celebrating when people run into the arms of their Heavenly Father. 
It's about seeing people redeemed and seeing people restored and knowing that even in your brokenness that you have value, that you are valued not only by God but by the people in his church. It's about celebrating people being brought back into relationship with their creator. And this is easier to miss than we think. So Jesus actually points that out in the story. This is how the story ends, verse 25. Meanwhile, (laughs) the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. I mean, he heard dancing, so it was a party. He asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. Now, you would think the response of the brother would be, man, that's awesome. I'm so happy. I'm so excited. Uh, I've been out there looking for him everywhere, too. I'm so glad that he's found. I've got to get to the house and join the party. But that wasn't his response, was it? Verse 28, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you, Dad. Never once refused to do a single thing you asked me to do. I've always obeyed you. I've done all the right things. And all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes, this son of yours, this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he's found. What's interesting about this older brother is he always obeyed his dad. He always did all the right things, listen, but totally missed his father's heart. That's what Jesus is saying to these religious leaders. So I think we need to pay attention too. He's saying, you got all the head knowledge, you've memorized the whole law and all the prophets, you know the scripture inside and out, you can point out when somebody else gets it wrong, good for you, and yeah, you're serving in the temple every day and you're doing all the right things, but you're missing what the heart of God is all about. Listen, we can grow closer to God by reading scripture, yep. We can grow closer to God's heart with prayer, absolutely. Absolutely. We can grow closer to God's heart by attending church and being involved in church and all those things. But if we want to grow closest to his heart, this is what's in his heart. You see, the older brother, he was close in proximity to the father, but it didn't mean he understood his heart. Just because the older son did all the right things and never abandoned his father doesn't guarantee he understood his father's heart. Jesus' point is, the heart of the Father, the heart of your heavenly Father, is to see people come back to Him. Jesus is saying, that's what I'm all about. That's what's important to me. And that's why we're having these parties, because that's what I want to celebrate. See, when you see people as God sees them, you move closer to the heart of God. That's why I want us to be careful and to be intentional to see people the way God sees them because it'll move us closer to who God is and what he has for our lives. That's why we want to be for people. We don't want you to turn people into projects. That's not the idea. We want to change the posture of our hearts towards people. 
when we begin to see people the way God sees them, it changes things, not just head things, but heart things. When we see people the way God sees them, we're willing to pursue them with his love at all costs. We're willing to welcome people into our lives and welcome people into our church, no matter their brokenness, no matter how messy it is, because the truth is we've all got our own mess. That's why we came to Jesus in the first place, probably. So my challenge for us today is to pray this week, God, who do you want me to be for? Like, who in my life? Who are the three or four people in my life right now that you want me to be for? And maybe you did this, uh, you know, last time we talked about this a couple years ago. Just a heads up, we're going we're gonna to re- revisit this in a little more detail in, the, in a few weeks. But just pray, God, who do you want me to be for? Like, who needs me in their corner right now? And what does that look like? See, when you choose to see people the way God sees them, you move closer to his heart. And here's the reason I want this for you. It's the reason I want this for our church. The reason is I believe that the size of the vision that God has for your life is determined by the size of your heart for people. The bigger your heart is for the people around you, the greater the vision that God has for your life. And the way to grow your heart is to say to God, God, help me see people as you see them. So many people that we do life with in this church, at work, in our families, in our circles of friendships, they feel like life is against them. And they need to know that Jesus is for them. And many of them aren't going to know that until we're for them. And since the church is the body of Christ, let's begin to see with the eyes of Jesus. Why? So that more people will know and experience the love of Jesus. So more people will come home to their Father. So more people will know the loving embrace of their Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you loved us, that you care about us, that you see us in light of your image in us. Thank you that you see our brokenness, that our brokenness doesn't make us unworthy. Thank you that you want to restore us. You want to welcome us home. I pray that we would be faithful in seeing people the way you see them. I pray that you would challenge us and show us, speak to us about who we need to be for. Who is it in our life right now that we need to be for? Show us who around us needs us to be in their corner when they feel like life is against them that we can speak into the value of who they are. We boldly ask that more and more people in our community would come to know you, that they would come to know that you love them and you stand ready to welcome them. And we count it a privilege whenever you choose to use us to bring your lost sons and daughters home. In Jesus' name.